live from the Kima Podcast Studio in Pennsylvania. It's the Kima Podcast, the emergency management podcast for Kima members by Kima members. I'm your host, Paul Falavolito. Joining me for today's episode, it's Amy Amir. Hey, Paul, what's going on? Good evening, Amy. Happy August 1st in the start of another preparedness month. How are you? Good. How are you? I can't believe it's August already. I know. And guess what I forgot to do? What? I forgot to do the research and find out what August's preparedness tips are for the community. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sure there are heat, awareness. And weather and make and a weather. kit. Make a kit. All that stuff. So, yeah. So I forgot to do that. Um, the biggest thing I think that we really need to push, though, is checking the back seats. Yeah, for babies and dogs, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so what's going on out in Chester County this week? So this week, I was part of a large hiring event that we just hosted for our communication center. Um, it was pretty awesome. Like, it's just, you know, it just blows my mind every time when I watch um, the team come together and we had a fair amount of people attend and apply for jobs for the communication center. It's kind of, it was just kind of a cool event, mass hiring event that we did. Well, that sounds awesome. And it also sounds like a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but totally worth it in the end. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, you want to play a little, so- do you want to play a little sound bite for everyone for the hiring event that you, that you used? <laughs> Go ahead. Um, yeah. Um, Okay, I'm not quite sure which button this is. Can you answer the call? Apply today to be a Chester County telecommunicator at chesco.org slash jobs. Boom. You're welcome. Boom. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I wasn't invited to the event. So, oh, stop. So one of the things that we did with this um, event, the way that we advertised it is we did a whole lot of social advertising. We had a video that, um, it was a quick 11 second video that we, um, we posted on Facebook and YouTube. It got a fair amount of views. I think 45, 4,500 views, you know, people, 11 second video, people watched it almost all the way through every time we, we were very thrilled with the, the turnaround. We also were able to have applicants apply online and then it forced them into the County like to fill out the county application. So That's awesome. It was different event. Guess what I did uh, this week? You, did you hire people? No. I did oh. the two-day G271 hazardous weather class oh. out at the Allegheny County Emergency Services Center in Moon Township. And let me tell you, it was two days taught by the Pima State Meteorologist Jeff Jumper and the National Weather Service Pittsburgh director, Fred McMullen, and having the opportunity to sit there for two days and listen to these two guys talk about weather was, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, if you're into weather, you've got to take this class because it it rocked me to my core. It was that good, and uh, I enjoyed absolutely every minute of it. And I have to tell you also, this Saturday is our local borough community day and that's relevant because it's really the first time that our office of emergency management is going to actually be out and visible in the public in a non-response type of a role so we're going to be there with our booth 
I have 100 pounds of Pima <laughs> preparedness guides and checklists and all that other stuff that they sent me for this event. And uh, so, number one, I can't wait to get it out of my house and get it into the hands of the residents. But I, I'm very excited, uh, you know, because, like I said, it's really, truly going to be our first time. Uh, You'll have to live stream or, or something. Yeah, yeah. I will, you know, I'll be sure and do that so every time someone comes and picks up a PA preparedness guide. I'll, I'll Facebook like, live that moment. Can you talk moment. to us, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what else? Before we go um, to our guests. You know what else is going on this week, too? No. Tomorrow. Tell me. We are um, doing the emergency or the EM weekly podcast with Todd DeVoe. Oh, that's right. That's tomorrow Fourth night. Minute. Yeah. We're going to be interviewed on his podcast. I'm not sure when he'll uh, actually publish it, but as soon as he does, we'll be sure and share that link with oh, all yeah, of our sure. listeners. It's a good show. I, I Like I said, I subscribe to it, and uh, he has a lot of good guests on there, and they talk a lot of good stuff. Um, about emergency management. And um, before we get to today's special guest, please continue to spread the word about the Kima podcast by sharing it on your social media, giving us a five-star review to help us climb the charts in the emergency management podcast world. We, we appreciate all of your uh, support, and uh, we can't do it without our listeners. And so if you guys could help share the show and continue to listen to it, uh, that would be the very best gift that you could give to us. I have someone on the line that I have been very anxious to speak with for several weeks. She is a natural hazard scientist with a bachelor's degree in geophysics and atmospheric science, a master's degree in natural hazards geography. She is the emergency management planner and assistant emergency management coordinator for the city of Leander in Texas, and she was recently quoted on Twitter as saying, I'm at my happiest when I get to stand in front of a radar dome. Ashley Morris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on here with you. Oh, I I very much appreciate you taking your time uh, out of your day to talk with us. So you're really your happiest in front of a radar dome. Oh, for sure. Anything that has to do with weather, um, if I'm looking at storms, I'm at the, the weather service, anything, that is seriously my happiest place. That's a fantastic picture that I saw of you on Twitter in front of that. I've never gotten to stand in front of a radar dome, so I, I don't know that I've experienced the joy and thrill of that yet. But if I do, I'm going to tag you in my photo on Twitter when I finally do. Yes, you definitely should. And just take a trip down to your local National Weather Service office and ask them to give you a tour, too. Because they'll walk you around the Forecast Operations Center and kind of give you a inside look of what they do every day. It's one of the coolest things ever. Well, I'll tell you, next week I'm taking the G271 Severe Weather class, and those people will be there. And I'm going to have to see if I can talk with them on a break and set that up. Oh, definitely. I'm so jealous that you're taking that course. Hopefully someday for me, I can take it. <laughs> oh, I, I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about it. But I got to tell you, I'm dying to hear your story because you are a feather, or uh, not a feather. <laughs> you're a feather, Ashley. No, you are a fellow. <laughs> you're a fellow weather junkie, um, kind of like I am, but obviously with way more intelligence in it than, than I will ever have. But I'm dying to hear your story. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you landed where you did today? 
Yeah, definitely. So it all kind of started back in second grade. Um, I was actually at a football game, um, and actually my dad was running around the track. So uh, he was getting his run in during this game, and uh, there was a thunderstorm that came through, and we didn't really have anywhere to go. And I was only probably about six or seven years old, and I got stuck in this storm, and I swear lightning was hitting, like, right next to me. And obviously, as any seven-year-old would do, I was crying hysterically, really scared. And my dad's friend actually taught me how to count the seconds in between the lightning bolt and the thunder. So he kind of did that, I think, to kind of calm me down a little bit. (laughs) So uh, I started doing that. And then uh, ever since then, I was fascinated with weather. So I loved it. Um, I would watch storms. I would uh, record them in a notebook. It was always my thing. And if you go back to my elementary school teachers, I would tell them. They would say, what do you want to do? And I, I would always say meteorology. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I've always been, been the weather girl uh, growing up. So I found myself going to Texas Tech University to study uh, meteorology and actually uh, more of an earth sciences route because they technically didn't have a straight-on meteorology degree. So uh, my geophysics coursework actually included uh, geology, so some minerals and uh, a little bit of volcanoes, things like that. Uh, Geophysics actually covered some seismic activity stuff, and then I took uh, some weather classes in atmospheric science. So my undergrad actually covered a lot of natural hazards, which at the time I didn't really think it was going to be that helpful, but now, considering that we're all hazards, it's very helpful to my job, but Basically, in graduate school, I was uh, kind of on track to do National Weather Service forecasting, and I kind of had a change of heart when I realized that uh, we can get a forecast 100% right and even put out a really good warning, but we still have storm fatalities, and we still don't always know why. Mm. And that always really upset me a lot, um, just emotionally, because I feel like storm fatalities are so preventable. So uh, I kind of looked at emergency management as a way to have a little more control over decision-making and play a little bit more of a role into preparedness and keeping people safe, like through evacuation or through different actions, uh, providing shelter, things like that. So I kind of uh, switched off of the forecasting route and decided to go more EM and bring my scientific background into that because I feel like when we're in a, a severe weather event, we're using science every day to make those decisions. And it really helps me make a good decision if I understand how the storms are working. You know, one of the yeah. one of the reasons I love doing this show and, and talking to the people that I get to talk to, I love hearing everyone's story. I really do. It it's it's just so fascinating the paths we take to get to where we are. Um my other question for you is where are you at in Texas? I know it it's uh Leander, am I saying that right? Yeah, so it's uh, Lander, Texas is technically an Austin suburb. I think about 90% of our residents commute to Austin. We're only about 20 to 25 miles from Austin. So we're in Williamson County, which is just north of Travis County. So it's pretty much Austin area. Very cool. Um, How important is it to have a dedicated weather person for either local or county emergency management? Or do you think we rely too much on weather apps and news meteorology? I think it is really, really, really important. And, uh, of course, uh, with my weather background, I always endorse people to reach out to their local National Weather Service office. Um, Their mission is changing to be more supportive towards public safety and EMs, and they're there to support. Um, So I definitely endorse everybody taking advantage of that. But I will say during big events, and my first activation down here was Harvey, 
because we were concerned about inland flooding. Um, during those big events, NWS can get tied up pretty quick. So uh, our office is way more worried about the counties down south that were getting, you know, 15 inches of rain, 20 inches of rain, and we were kind of just on the borderline. So um, it was hard for them to support our decision-making while they were so worried about their products and stuff down south. So um, when I worked for the county, they really heavily utilized my knowledge, and they were asking me questions on, okay, do you think we're going to get another rain band? Do you think this and this? And luckily, because I had that background, I was able to encourage our EMC at the time to deactivate the EOC because we were kind of hitting a lull. And it actually saved the county a lot of overtime money because he was going to keep it spun up for probably another two operational periods just to be safe. And he said, you know, at the end of the event, thank you so much. You know, we deactivated. I wasn't confident about it, but thanks to your background, it saved us money. Wow, that's so great. I've, I've definitely seen a, a positive impact in uh, weather background being in it, and I hope to see more meteorologists kind of take that route. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you one of, the, one of my success stories, and I've always felt like, at least for the last decade, that I felt like the luckiest guy on earth because you know i'm a full-time ems chief and a and a half-time uh emergency deputy emergency management coordinator for my municipality but i've had a guy on my staff that has his degree in meteorology from penn state school of meteorology and so everything we do i always hear it from him first and and everything that we plan for comes off of his forecasting and his predictions and and he's now uh, a deputy emergency management coordinator in the same municipality with me. And so I'm very lucky and beneficial to, to have that. And I know that he also provides a lot of that storm information to our county uh, emergency uh, management agency as well. So I totally agree with you uh, on that point. My next point for you is you sent out a tweet that I thought was absolutely fantastic. And I'm going to quote you again, if I may. <laughs> sure. <laughs> And it said, we need to be more direct in how we explain climate change and impacts. Otherwise, it hurts the decision. Reminder that it's over time, not just one heat wave or one high temperature record. Can you tell us a little bit more about that thought? Yeah. So um, one of the biggest things that we learned is I took a a climate class in college. (laughs) And there's a big distinction between climate and weather. So weather is kind of your day-to-day thing. You know, your, your weather is your high temperature of the day or the pattern that you're in short term. Climate is a pattern over time. So, for instance, if I'm down in Austin and I have 115-degree day today, that doesn't necessarily mean that my climate is hotter, right? Uh, but if I have 115 over time and that pattern is showing over months and then over consistent seasons, then that is more of a climate thing. And so I always think it's really important to emphasize the difference between weather and climate because I've seen uh, different entities uh, take certain data of just certain um, record-breaking events and try to say that. Um, And I'd just like to remind people of the definition, which was kind of the point of that. So, for instance, you can have a high record right now, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's climate change. You need to look over time. Which, if you look over time, you will see that there is warming. Right. And and they usually talk about that it's like usually a degree and a half or two degrees uh, on average, right? Isn't it something? It's it's something small, but it's increasing. 
Is that, is that am I in the right ballpark? Or am I talking about something else? Yeah, I mean, pretty much the averages have shown that, and and something I think is important to talk about is because I saw somebody kind of point to the heat wave that's going on over in Europe right now and, and use that as evidence. I agree that it is evidence if they continue to have multiple heat waves, but you can't just say one heat wave one year is evidence. Gotcha. It has to be a consistent thing over time, which is what climate is. Climate is all about weather patterns, not necessarily a weather event. Because if you look at weather events, like we always have, you know, the occasional storm that is record breaking. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a pattern change, though. You have to look long term at all the years and the seasons. Gotcha. Gotcha. You also tweeted about something else that I thought was fantastic. And I've learned a lot just from looking at your, your Twitter page. You tweeted about evacuation tags, and I've never seen those before. I've never heard of them. Um, and now I think that was like a fire thing, right? For, for wildfire evacuees, if you're leaving your home, you put this tag like on your front doorknob or something that says you've evacuated and that's supposed to cue first responders that there's no one home so that they don't, I guess, waste resources or time searching the home. Is that kind of the gist of it? Yeah. So I was on LinkedIn, I guess maybe yesterday, I think I posted that. And I saw somebody post a news article about it, and it's one of the counties out there in California that's uh, recovering from one of the big wildfires over the past couple of years. And uh, they actually came up with the idea to kind of teach them these tags. Uh, And basically, so if you evacuate with your family and you're gone, you're supposed to put the tags that say evacuated on your door to show that you're gone. And uh, their theory behind it is to save first responders time because they lost a lot of time banging on doors and then not hearing any response. So they would have to bang multiple times to make sure no one was there. Right. So they felt like if their community would put up tags and say, hey, we're gone, they can skip those houses and kind of try to get to the people that are still there. So um, I thought it was an awesome idea, but I will say that somebody pointed out a very good kind of a con or concern about it which is the whole uh, looting idea um, because some people still are concerned about that, even though we've seen in research that it is uh, more of a myth than anything. Yeah. Um, I could see how some people would, would be concerned about putting that on their door. So I like to bring that point up too, but I think it's a really creative and awesome idea. Yeah. I, I would almost like to test it. I, I do too. And, and I could really, it, it made me think that there's, there's a, a place for this for, Flood evacuees, tornado evacuees, hurricane evacuees, not just specific to uh, to fire. I could, I could really see it possibly, you know, becoming a real deal uh, emergency management thing that, that we would get behind and push nationwide. Um, I just, I, 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 I agree. I think it saves time and saves resources uh, on everything. But in closing, I have to say, right, so they say everything's bigger in Texas. Isn't that what you're saying? Oh, definitely. So I hope that isn't true about your disasters that you guys have well, down there. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you look at the past few years, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with Harvey. So. Yeah, I know. I know. I saw all that when it was happening. It was uh, absolutely unbelievable. But listen, Ashley, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk with me a little bit uh, about who you are and what you do down there and please give our best regards to everybody in your emergency management uh, agency down there. Oh, definitely. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right, Ash. Thank you so much. Mm Mm-hmm.
So there you have it, Ashley Morris from Lander, Texas. And what a smart uh, individual she is, man. I'd, I'd love to pick her brain for another six hours. Yeah, I really want to explore more about the evacuation tags. Yeah, very cool. I'll see if I can find that article because uh, I did read it, and I will, uh, I'll send it to you. Um, so a little bit of emergency management news. This Tuesday is National Night Out. That's Tuesday, August 6th. Um, and I know that many places have already celebrated that early. And, you know, National Night Out, it's that great way to bring the public uh, together with police, fire, EMS, emergency management, uh, all of the public safety agencies together um, with the community for just a fun night out together in a, in a non-threatening environment, which I think is fantastic. The website is natw.org to find an event and also to register your national night out event. Do you guys do one? Oh, yeah, we have them all throughout the county. Yeah. There's like three or four that I can think of off the top of my head. Very cool. I think I'm going to yeah. go I think I'm going to go to one cuz we don't do it because it's too close to our community day, but hopefully that'll change in the future. So what's new from the Kima news desk? Well, you know, we're preparing for the conference. Nah, really? Yeah. Yeah, we are. <laughs> And I just want to point out a couple of things that happened at the conference. This year is an election year. So that means that the, pre- the offices of the executive board are all open. That is the president, the vice president, the three area presidents, the secretary, the treasurer, and the three area directors will be nominated and elected by the membership. Wow. So, so the whole, de- a, so the whole deal a- could flip-flop. Yeah. 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 Get out so and vote. So that information should be coming out shortly from the um from the committee because then there's a committee one from each um area serves on the nomination committee for the um for nominations. Can I run for the podcast the the state podcast president position? Um you can have the media committee. No. No. Okay. Why not? Keep going. Okay. Um, I was ready to debate that with you and everything. <laughs> and then, of course, the um, the awards, the three different awards that we have um, this year. And I just clicked out of the screen. There we are. The three different awards that we have, the Harry Reberdeau Award, the Paul Beattie Partnership Award, and my favorite, the Spirit of Chemo Award. So we have um, those nominations. All that should be coming out right before the conference. So we're we're kind of happy about it. And I know it hasn't been updated on the um, website, but Garlack promised me that he would get to it this weekend. We do have Mary Ann Tierney coming in and giving, from FEMA, FEMA Region 3, giving a presentation on Sunday night or Sunday afternoon. So um, we're really excited that she could join us, and we're working on maybe some other FEMA presentations for Monday. That's exciting. So, yeah. That's all, yeah. Ex- that's, that's all exciting news. The conference is October 27th through the 29th at the Blair County Convention Center in Altoona, Pennsylvania, and you can find all of the information on the Kima website. Yep. Are you ready for the main discussion point? I am. So I found this article online, and this is from Gaston County, North Carolina. And get ready for this headline, Amy. Okay. The headline reads... Gaston County Emergency Management Director 
to resign amid preparedness concerns. Wait. Uh, what? So their county emergency management director, Keith Rapp, said their county may not be ready for emergencies such as severe weather. I guess they had a flooding uh, event last month that destroyed boats and docks on Mountain Island Lake. The residents were concerned that they didn't get any alerts. The county emergency management director said they have an alert system, but it doesn't work. And Rapp said his department suffers from lack of planning and is only reactionary. And he gave a list of concerns to county officials. And he's resigning because he is the only full-time employee in his county department and other similar counties of the same size have four to six full-time employees to run the emergency management. So he resigned. Unreal story. Yeah, I'm sitting here with my jaw just kind of. So if you live in that area, who do you blame? For all this, because it's a breakdown yeah, think, across the board of everything. Yeah, I just did a quick search on Gaston County. According to the 2010 census, population is 206,000. Yeah, that's a, this is a big deal for them. Big deal. Unbelievable story. Yeah, I, I, I just. I, who do you blame? Who do you blame? Well, I mean, it sounds to me like, you know, again, just just from reading the one-sided article, this guy, you know, makes a list of all his concerns, gives it to the the elected officials, and it just dies, you know? So I don't know if this is a budgetary issue. I I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. But like I said, the article, I thought it was uh, worthy enough to mention. In the secondary discussion point, are you ready for this one? Because this one okay. is just fun. I, I like fun stuff. And this is another thing that I think we might often forget to include in the public safety, first responder, emergency management paradigm. Yesterday was National Ranger Day. And for us in Pennsylvania, this means the DCNR Park Rangers. Oh, how cool. Yeah. And did you know in the last year, they responded to 125 search and rescue calls, responded to 157 motor vehicle accidents, provided medical aid for 595 visitors to our state parks in Pennsylvania, and patrolled 2.4 million acres of land. Unbelievable. And that was just Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, DCNR, Department of Conservation and Natural Resource. Yeah. Oh, right? wow. I mean, wow. We know these guys very well. We know these guys very well because way back when all of our initial search and rescue certifications came through the DCNR. So we, oh. we would go up to the state parks and, and do the training with the rangers, and uh, we would get the DCNR certificate. So, so we know these guys very well. So happy Ranger Day to the Pennsylvania DCNR park rangers a day late. Yes. We won't Happy for- belated Ranger Day. We, yeah, we, we 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 will not forget it next year. So, as episode 21 comes to a close. In thinking back to that article that I just read, Amy, do you think emergency management 
in general has enough staff what do you what about volunteers how do you get volunteers so i think i'm a little bit different because i work for county we are all trained in uh, different positions different roles in the eoc for different levels of staffing well this guy worked for a county too and they blew it in his county yeah i think i mean well yeah yeah, i wonder what his eoc staffing if he's the only person I mean, my emergency management co-workers, I think there's like 11 or 12 of them. Yeah. But I, I think, too, just the whole volunteer thing, just in general, in my dealings with fire companies, EMS agencies, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, volunteering is just almost, I don't want to say a thing of the past, but it's not like it used to be. Anymore. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think emergency management is in trouble in the next few years, especially on the local level because those of us that do it for free today and those that have done it for free for the last 20 years due to retirement or eventually going to get replaced by the people that are going to school to get a degree in emergency management and those people are going to want paid for that position and that's something that I don't think any local government is preparing any budget space for currently. So I think that's going to become a big shock to a lot of local municipalities here in the future. But when it comes to volunteers, I think there's a couple great ways. One great way for people in the community to be involved is obviously the Skywarn program through the National Weather Service. Get them involved. You know, I think that's a really great introduction to get people involved and let their voice matter. And also on Twitter, there's a great page. It's at ICChange. Um, And their website is icchange.org. And that's another great way where they use a lot of science and a lot of weather um, to plan for the future where they actually get people involved, take pictures of, you know, hey, this creek used to, you know, always flood this little bit. But now we're noticing that it's changing and it's flooding a lot more. Those are the kinds of pictures that they want. And we are launching our community culture broker program next month which is in line with fema's new strategic plan and so hopefully we're going to get a lot of volunteers that come from that in our community because every municipality needs a resource list of volunteers in the community that have a trade or a skill or equipment that they're willing to donate to recover from a disaster we will have to talk about that we absolutely will have a pleasant remainder of your evening and a fantastic weekend you too this has been episode 21 of the kima podcast